Beloved, hear the word of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Now, brothers and sisters, as we uh, bring this epistle to a close, Paul, in this final chapter, gives us some some closing remarks regarding the health and well-being of the church in Thessalonica. That is, as Paul had spent time with them, as Paul had sent Silas and Timothy to spend time with them, and the report that Paul had received back from their visit, this second letter is addressing those issues, our problems, that Paul wanted to encourage them in, correcting them in, and hopefully seeing them grow up and mature in Christ so that they would have a better, greater testimony uh, concerning the gospel as they would go out and preach the gospel and spread the gospel in the lands around them. Paul wanted them to not only remain a healthy church, but he wanted them to keep the maintenance of that spiritual health up. It has to be guarded. That's one of the things we read in Proverbs 4, was our hearts have to be guarded. If we're not actively guarding our own hearts and our own own minds, then we are subject to the influences, sinful influences around us and becoming enculturated like the world. Now, what do I mean by enculturated? Well, here's what I mean by that. What I mean by being enculturated is where we begin to argue like the world argues. When we begin to think like the world thinks, justify ourselves like the world justifies ourselves, you know, themselves. How does, what does that practically look like? Well, it's for example... When someone is doing something that is harmful to another, they might use the justification, well, if I don't do it, somebody else will. That's the way the world justifies itself. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be guilty of that. We don't want to use the world's philosophies and arguments and justifications in our lives. We want to be influenced. We want to be cleansed. We want to grow up in the Word of God. And that's why we've been saved, is to grow up in the Word of God. We've embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. We've repented of our sins. And we've been brought into this communion called the body of Christ so that we might what? Mature. Grow up. That we might advance and walk with the Lord. Commune with Him. Now I don't know if that's the mindset of every Christian today. Particularly in our own nation Church seems to be more geared toward activities than anything else, than personal holiness and growth. Nothing wrong with activity. But when it's only activity, and there's not a focus on our maturing in the Lord, having opportunity to engage the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, and you can't grow up without knowing Scripture. You cannot mature, you cannot grow up in Christ without a knowledge of the Word of God. Now what's the difference in knowledge and understanding? Because Proverbs seems to play on those two ideas. Well, simply this. You can know a lot of things. And this is, this is kind of typical with young adults. There's a lot of knowledge. They, you grow up, you hear your mom, you hear your dad, you hear people you look up to say a lot of things. And so you know a lot, but you don't understand a lot. Knowledge and understanding are not the same things. 
Knowledge must be understood. We must learn how to relate to what we know to be true. We must learn how to relate to the truth. We must engage it. Prayerfully consider it. We must look at it in the light of the whole counsel of God's Word. Not just one verse. A verse here, our favorite verse, and a verse over there, another favorite verse. We must look at the whole scheme and the whole Word of God and then learn to interact with it and then pray for wisdom because that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is the application of the Word of God. It's the application of truth in our lives. And then we can begin to say we understand these things. Paul here gives the church three directives. Three directives. We've already looked at two of them. The first one was prayer. The first one was the directive of being a praying body. A church that takes prayer seriously. A church that is mindful of the need of prayer. You know, a praying church is going to know the source of its strength. The source of the church's strength is not its pastor. It's not the elders. It's not the wealthiest people in the congregation. It's not the most liked people in the congregation. It's not the most popular people in the congregation. It's not the old folks. It's not the young folks. It's God's grace. It's the Lord who is the source of the church's strength, of the church's confidence, of the church's hope. And a people that are dedicated to praying are always reminded of the source of their hope, the source of their peace, the source of the unity in the body. You know, where does true unity come from? It's not just that we've decided to get along with one another. That's a good thing. We should get along with one another. We do want to be at peace and harmony and unity. But it goes further than that. It's the Lord's blessing upon a congregation that as we walk in the light of His Word, as we learn it, as we understand it, as we walk in prayerful wisdom of it, that the Lord is bringing to the body a peace. A peace. And we all share in that peace. We all share in that unity. And it's something that's outside of us. And we, take, we cannot take credit for it. The second directive he left to us was that we should be busy laboring and providing for our own families if at all possible. That is, in God's providence, we should work with our own hands and eat our own bread. Because what had happened was there were some church members that had begun to loaf around they were called you know idlers they were idle and they began sponging off of other church members now they were well by, they were they had all their strength there was there was no need for this charity paul's not opposed to rightful charity but he's opposed to when someone is shirking their responsibilities and becoming a burden on somebody else because then that keeps those families from helping somebody who truly is in need and Paul rebukes them and he corrects them and he says listen if a man doesn't work nor should he eat Let me say this, young men, young women, older people, God does not like laziness. Laziness is a sin. And laziness is being, Paul addresses laziness right here in the verses above the two I read this morning. So Paul has to address laziness. Now, we need to learn something from that because what we see here is that the church is not just this, this, quote, spiritual institution where we go to have our minds filled with all of these interesting facts and yet there's no connectivity in our lives. No, that's not Christianity at all. That's Eastern mysticism. Eastern mysticism loves to pontificate the mysteries of the universe with ever 
any recognition to the physical life around them. That's not Christianity. Christianity says, no, the reality of the spiritual world, the truth that God exists and who God is, the nature of our God has a direct impact on us who created, who He created us in His own image and how we are to labor and to work and to enjoy doing it. In fact, brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you are not, if you cannot find satisfaction in eating from the fruit of your own labors, it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual condition. That is what all God has commanded us to do. We ought to do it with joy. What happens if you don't have joy? You need to pray about it. You need to pray for it. You need to cultivate it. Lord, I don't have joy. In my labors. Give me joy. I want to be like you. I want to work hard. I want to give a good sound testimony of my Christian faith. I want to, when I tell people that I'm a Christian, I don't want the first thing out of their mouth to be to, them, to the person that they're standing with when I walk off is, man, what a lazy person. We have to do their job. Doesn't want to work. Everybody's always picking up their slack. That's a poor testimony. You're going to have a hard time taking those people to church with you. You're going to have a hard time inviting them to church and talking about how Jesus has changed your life because they're going to look at you and they'll say, well, he hasn't changed your work ethic. And that's exactly what Christianity does. It changes our work ethic. Look, these were Grecians. The Greeks were very uh, notorious for pleasure. They didn't like hard work. They didn't like physical labor. They didn't like exertion. They didn't like that kind of duty and responsibility. And yet, here they are now, saved in Christ. And what's Paul doing? Paul's instructing them in how they ought to live. Work with your hands. Look what he says in the text. Look back up. Um, in verse 12, uh, uh, not so, now such persons we command and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. What's Paul saying as an apostle? Work. Exert yourself. Perform your duties in the Lord. Paul, Paul emphasizes that this is not just my words as the apostle. These are the words of the Lord. Now listen. Paul has already addressed this idea that if you don't like what he says and you want to forego that and you just want to do your own thing, he's already addressed that. Turn back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And again, here's what we got. Listen, we have the gospel coming into this culture, this mentality that it's bad to do work. And let me let me let me give you to you more reality, more glaring, a more glaring reality. And it's like this. In fact, while we spend our time doing is thinking about how to get out of work. That's sinful. We spend more energy trying to get out of work than we would if we labored in the Lord's name, work hard with our hands, and receive the blessing of satisfaction. And, and goodwill when we work. They were, they were notorious for not wanting to work. They were supposed to work, but they were also licentious. Immoral sexually. And Paul comes with the gospel. He preaches the gospel. They embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Paul says, now here's how you have to live as a Christian. Here's what it means to be a Christian in your culture and society. Look with me at chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 1 all the way down because it's going to emphasize this. Finally then, brethren, we, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction 
on how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. So what do we see there? Paul says, this is how you used to live. This is how you need to start living. And we warn you to live this way. Live as becomes, that, that becomes a Christian. Live in a way a Christian needs to live. Now look at verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. But in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man. But the, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now as to the love of the brethren, brother, you have no need for anyone to write you. For you yourselves are taught by God how to love one another. So what does Paul say? Paul says, listen, you reject these commandments, these instructions... In these lessons, you're not rejecting me, you're rejecting God. He gave them to you. How did he give them to the church? Through the teaching of the apostle. Through the teaching of the apostle. Now, brothers and sisters, what Paul does in this last directive is he's teaching the church. He's showing the church the obligation and duty of what to do with anyone who is a member of the church that does not want to obey the teaching of Scripture. Paul, in verse 13 and verse 14, Paul addresses what to do with that obstinate professor of faith. That one who says, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to obey the apostles' teaching. I'm not going to obey the Word of God. Now, it might seem odd that a church or that the church would have to address dealing with an erring church member. Because, again, it's popular today to let people do their own thing, right? Just let people do their own thing. Don't don't challenge anyone. Don't, don't confront anyone. Just let people do their own thing. God will sort it out. God will work it out. But nevertheless, here we have a directive by the apostle that tells the church, here's what you must do when you have this person in your midst. And you might have to see it this way, brothers and sisters. These directives are given in order for the church to be healthy. A praying church is going to be a healthy church. A church that's laboring and working with their own hands, finding great satisfaction in, in, in this life, asking for the Lord's blessing, having enough to give to those who are truly in need. What a blessing. What an honor that brings to the Lord's name, particularly as that church wants to spread the gospel in the land. What a testimony. Of a giving, loving church. Helping people who are sincerely in need. And now you need to know how to address that membership or that person or persons in your midst that have decided they're not going to obey Scripture. What do you do? How do you handle it? How does a church walk with God? How does a body walk with God? And yet know at the same time there are those in their midst that don't care to walk in the commandments of God. Now brothers and sisters, what I want to point out to you this morning is that in order for there to be a healthy church, it needs to be a church that is willing to exercise church discipline. Discipline has fallen on hard times in our day. And I'm not just talking about church discipline. 
I mean, anytime a business wants to correct an employee, it seems like there's all kinds of hoops you have to jump through. In fact, employers are becoming afraid to correct their employees for their fear of lawsuits. We don't like discipline. Families have, uh, are foregoing discipline of their children. In fact, um, I sent an article. I sent an article out. I'm, maybe Chuck, you sent me this article. I can't remember. But the article is related to uh, families no longer calling their children male and female, but babies. Babies. Because we want to the, the, allow the children to grow up and determine their own gender, whatever they want to be. Call them babies. But see, that's nothing more than an application of a family that's not willing to even discipline the child, to correct, to train their minds, to train their thinking, to train their consciences. So that they may grow up and mature and be useful. To be profitable. To be helpful. Now listen to me, and I don't mean this in a very mean-spirited way at all, but brothers and sisters, if you're confused about whether you're a boy or a girl, you're not going to be very useful to many people at all. If you can't determine whether or not you're a boy or a girl, and from one day you're a boy, the next day you're a girl, the next day you're a whatever, then you're probably not. You're just so consumed with self that you're not useful to anyone. And now we have churches that are so geared toward filling up the seats that are so geared toward paying the high electric bills of these big campuses, exorbitant salaries. All of the activities that come along with those churches, we can't confront anybody anymore. We can't confront sin when it exists in the body of Christ. Because what, what will most professing Christians do when they are confronted with their sin, justify it and leave the church. Justify it and leave the church. And we've heard these, these justifications. Well, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. As if somehow nobody could ever correct anybody. And yet we have a passage of Scripture in God's holy word where Paul says right there in verse 14, If anyone does not obey our instruction, what's this instruction? All that I've written you. In this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Wow. Wow. There's no way you can confuse what Paul is saying here. There's no way to get around it. Paul here is taking a firm line on what happens when there are those in the church that refuse to walk in the teaching of Scripture. And in this situation, it's related to working. What happens to those who are who have quit their jobs and have become a um, who have become busybodies? All they're doing is going around involving themselves in the lives of other people. They're not doing the things that they need to do. They're sponging off of others. Paul says, if they want to be corrected, first mark them out. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. Now, brothers and sisters, simply put, the gospel must be adorned by those who profess to believe and know Jesus Christ. What does that mean, the gospel must be adorned? We have to live it. We have to live it. Nowhere in the Bible is it justified where we can profess the name of Jesus Christ to believe and trust in Him and then walk in our own ways. Nowhere. And I'm not going to pull up... Hundreds of scriptures to teach you that. If you really want to know that, you'll go and look it up. I do want to give you, though, a couple of verses 
that I think will help. First of all, Romans 6, verse 17, Paul says, But thanks be to God that you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Paul says, look, you were once slaves to sin, but guess what? In Christ, now you are what? Set free from sin now to the obedience of the gospel. That's what the gospel living is. Gospel living is I was once a, a slave to my sin and lust. Now I've been free and set free to do what? Obey the Lord Jesus Christ by grace. I read to you already 1 Thessalonians 4.8 where Paul talks about, look, you're not just rejecting my words, you reject God when you reject these commandments. But let's talk a little bit about this church discipline. What are we to think about it? I think first of all, we ought to see it that church discipline is a grace. It's a privilege. Now, brothers and sisters, this morning I want to put into your minds and into your hearts the privilege it is to be a member of a good church. The privilege it is to be a member of a gospel-preaching, Jesus-believing, Scripture-preaching church. Now, what do you mean, pastor, a privilege? What I mean is we're don't, we are not owed this. It's a privilege. It's not a right. You don't just have a right to something. It's a privilege that comes with what? A profession of faith. Coming to a body of believers and wanting to acknowledge and publicly identify with what? Jesus Christ. As what? Lord and Savior. What's Lord? Lord is master. It's king. It's boss. It's governor. Lord is the master. He's our Lord. He has the right to tell us what to do. He's Savior. We trust in Him. What do we trust in Jesus for? Well, we trust in Jesus that God poured out His wrath upon His Son that was justly owed to us. For sin. Our sin justly deserves the wrath of God. And Jesus took that wrath to himself and offered up himself in our stead. I trust that God will accept me because I put my faith in his son who bore the wrath of God, which I deserved. I trust Christ. That he's paid that penalty perfectly and satisfied the anger of God. And in that trust, now I walk with him. I commune with him. And I want him to direct my paths. I want him to teach me. I want him to instruct me. I want him to correct me. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's a privilege, beloved, to be in a church where the gospel is preached, where Christ is exalted, where sin is confronted. We need this. It's a grace. What happens, brothers and sisters, if you're left to yourself in the best conditions? In the best conditions. Hey, in the best of who you are, the best of yourselves, what happens if you're left to yourself? How long do you expect to stay that way? How long do you, can you exercise your strength to remain in that condition? How long? And brothers and sisters, it is a privilege, it's a blessing, it's a grace to be in a church that not only will preach the gospel and teach the whole Word of God, who set forth the glory of Christ to encourage the walking and communion with Him. But what happens, what happens, listen, what happens... When we do begin to err, what happens? Now listen to me. Our fathers and mothers corrected us because they loved us. And they disciplined us as they saw fit to teach us teach us and instruct us and it's that way in the church and brothers and sisters 
A church worth being a part of is a church that will love you enough that if you begin to stray into error, that they will sit down with you and say, brother, sister, what's going on? What's happening? Now, I know that's not popular, but it is biblical. So it doesn't matter if it's popular. It really doesn't matter, does it? Are we looking to teach only that which is popular, or do we want to teach the Word of God? Let's look at a few of these verses. Look at verse 14. Let's just look at verse 14 and 15 and then make some application. Notice what Paul says. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person. Now, what does it mean to take note of that person? Well, there are two ideas here. There are two ideas here. Or at least there are, there are two possible applications. Okay? Because we, we don't know, right? We don't have enough information in the text itself. But here's what we can know. When Paul, Timothy, and Silas was establishing the church there in Thessalonica, make no mistake about this. As Paul was addressing those people, as Paul would preached Christ, he was preaching the gospel to them, as Paul dealt with what it means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to be a, a member of the body of Christ, what it means to make a profession of faith, what it means to repent of your sins, what, it, what does church membership look like? Paul would have covered church discipline with them. Paul would have gone over what it is to walk with Christ and what happens when those when someone does not walk with Christ how do you address and deal with it so what we have here is very obscure not obscure on their end obscure on our end because Paul would have already addressed and dealt with this when he was in their presence it's not cryptic to them they know they know exactly what Paul is saying now let me add this as an application of this. What is sad to me is that men, women have been in church all their lives and they can hear a passage or a passage address and deal with church discipline or hear a, a preacher preach on church discipline and they do not know what it is and they've been in church 20, 30, 40 years. And yet it's, a, it's an important aspect of what it means to be a church member. You know what? I've heard, and you possibly have too, right? When you mention the church exercising discipline, one of the very first comebacks you might hear is this, well, our church loves one another. Our church loves one another. We don't, we don't perform church discipline. And yet, Matthew chapter 18, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus tells the church to do in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 18, listen to this. Verse 15, If your brother sins, go to him, show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of, of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you a Gentile and a tax collector. You see there the Lord Jesus says, listen, there's this progression that's taking place. The brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. Can you be more loving than Jesus? Is it possible for a pastor, a church body, to be more loving than the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm going to tell you, no. It's impossible for any pastor or any church to be more loving than Jesus who gave himself for us.
who laid down his life so that we would inherit eternal life. This note, what is it? Well, it could be this. It's possible that Paul is saying that if, if as you read my letter, as they hear these commandments, as they turn from them to reject them, note that person to me. Paul, it's possible some commentators take this point of view that Paul says, basically write a note and send it to me and then I will address and deal with them. I think that's a weak understanding of the text. Because I think it's weak because I don't see how this church could function if they were solely dependent on the Apostle Paul who knows, who knows where he would be. And he would have to deal with this erring church member. The word denotes to mark out or to identify. Notice what Paul says again. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him. It seems here that there has been some recognition that this person is walking in error and contrary to the teaching of the Apostle Paul of Scripture. And that, how, would that, how would that happen? Well, it would happen as the way the Lord Jesus says, you would go to that person. The session, the pastor, another friend might go and say, brother and sister, I want to talk to you. I want, I want to love on you. I'm only coming because I'm, I'm concerned for you. So it seems to be that this... this Initial confrontation is sort of the mark that's being talked about here or the note that's being talked about here. And that's what he's dealing with. He's addressing and dealing with that this noting is something that leads to the second thing that Paul talks about. Notice what it says at the end of verse 14. And this is interesting and we're going to spend some time here. He says, and do not associate with them so that he will be put to shame. Now, what does the word associate mean? The word associate means to do things with. It seems here that here's what Paul is saying. We're at a place where there's been some conversation. There's been some encouragement. There's been maybe some some admonition. And now this person has determined that they don't have to obey what the apostle says. And Paul says, now you need to put... Uh, you need to intensify this admonition with what? Withdrawal from fellowship. Now this is not in meanness. This is not in meanness. This is in, this is in, in sorrow. This is in pity. This is, comes from loving someone enough that we see and understand that it's important that they walk according to the Scripture into God's Word. What is this shame? The shame is not humiliation. It doesn't mean to humiliate somebody. It doesn't mean to embarrass them. Shame is a recognition of self. It's an enlightened state of mind and heart where a person by the confrontation says, that's who I am. This, this shame, listen, this is, this is a word we don't know about in our culture. You, you can, listen, I'm going to say this, forget, look, you can be a notorious sinner in our culture and be applauded. There is no shame. The Bible talks about in Proverbs 5 how the adulteress wipes her mouth. She, she, she looks at it and says, what? what have I done? I've done nothing wrong. And she's just committed adultery. And that's very much like our culture and society. You can be, you can be sexually promiscuous. You can be a, a, a notorious sinner and yet look and be applauded for having character. 
No shame. No shame. Well, Paul says that the activity and the fellowship within the body of Christ ought to be so uh, of such love and mercy and compassion that when we come to one another and, and, and there's, there's a legitimate concern, legitimate concern, and there's a withdrawal of fellowship, it causes that person to go, I know they love me. I know my brothers and sisters love me. What have I done? Let me ask you this. Have you ever come to that moment in your life when you've been caught in something? And then what was the first thought in your head? I deserve it. You you know what I'm talking about? That is, when when you are guilty of something and you've got that moment, you've been knowing all along, you ought to stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. But then all of a sudden, it's open, it's been brought out, there's shame, and then your first reaction is what? I deserve it. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. I can't hide from who I am. This is who I am. James talks about the man that looks into the liberty of God's Word, the liberty of law, and he sees himself. And he, 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 what? he doesn't go away and forget what he sees. He sees himself in the Word of God so that he can make reformation of character. Paul says, listen, when, you, when you've come to that place, when you withdraw fellowship from that brother or sister, it ought to be so tender, it ought to be so compassionate, it ought to be so loving that they look at themselves and they go, what have I done? I'm guilty. Now, brothers and sisters... The church is called the body of Christ for a reason. We are members of one another. And this erring church member is like a broken mem- is like a broken finger, a broken arm, a broken toe. You know, you don't ever think about your little toe. Break it. Break it. And see how often you think about it when you walk. See how often you think about it when you put your socks on. Forget your shoes. Just putting your socks on is a problem. And then let somebody bump into it. Break your little finger. You don't think about your little finger when you stick your hands in your pockets. But you'll think about your little finger every time you stick your hand in your pocket and it rubs it. Brothers and sisters, that's the problem with an erring church member. There's a a brokenness. There's there's a fracture in the unity and the well-being of the body. And if we love Christ and if we love one another, we are willing to set aside our comforts and, 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 and pick up the duty of being members of one another. It's not easy. It's not hard. I know it. I'm not, I'm not up here preaching, oh, this is so easy to do. I'm just preaching that it must be done. But yet we live in a time and in a place where it shouldn't be done. And if it is done, all someone is going to do is get mad and pick up and go to another church where no one is ever going to confront them. Let me ask you this. What if you have a serious disease? What if there's a problem in your heart? And the doctor tells you, you've got a condition. You've got a problem. And we're going to have to address this problem. And it's going to take some work. And you go, I don't want to hear this. And you go off. And you leave the doctor's office. And you ignore your condition. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to get better? It's going to get worse. And that's where so many people are spiritually. Because they don't like who they are. They don't like being confronted because it reminds them of so many bad choices. 
And yet, brothers and sisters, the joy and the privilege of being confronted with ourselves so that we can what? Grow up in Christ. So that we can pray for grace and mercy and reformation and restitution and that the Lord would bless us. We could repent of our sins. We could grow in grace and learn how to walk with one another in unity and love. Mike and I this morning were talking about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came up to the Lord Jesus and he said, Hey, what must I do to be saved? Now, he obviously had a, some confidence about himself because when Jesus told him what he could do, he said, I've done all that. And then Jesus told him to sell all he had and gave to the poor. And he said, the Bible says he walked away sad, yet Jesus loved him. See, the problem with the rich young rulers, he didn't understand himself. He really didn't know his condition. And Jesus was trying to show him who he really was. Jesus was lovingly showing him, you're greedy. You're corrupt. You're selfish. You're not giving. You're you're not a giver like you think you are. And he walked away. Oh, brothers and sisters. The best thing that rich young ruler could have done is what? Oh, but Lord, I'm such a selfish man. Help me. Forgive me. I didn't realize I was so selfish until you gave me the commandment to give my stuff away. It was in light of the commandment that I realized I was a sinner. It's in light of the commandments, brothers and sisters, that we what? Are confronted with who we are. Three things. Close with this. First observation is healthy churches practice church discipline. Healthy churches practice church discipline. Think about 1 Corinthians 5. Paul has to exercise church discipline against a member at the church in Corinth for sexual immorality. Matthew 18, the Lord Jesus tells us to practice church discipline. 1 Timothy Paul relates to the practice of church discipline against some of the men there uh, that had antagonized him. And in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapters 1 through 3, we see the Lord Jesus practicing church discipline on the churches in the book of Revelation. A healthy church will be a disciplined church. It's not fun. I'm going to ask you something, brothers and sisters. We read Proverbs 4. Are you willing to receive the teaching of the Lord Jesus? Are you willing to receive the teaching of Scripture? Are you willing to hear this instruction of the Lord? And you're willing to do it. Do it. Not just listen it. Not just hear it. But to do it. In fact, the word there that Paul uses in verse 14 for obey is a word that's two-sided. It means to hear and to do. To hear and to do. We hear the commandments of the Lord and then we what? We do them. And we do them by God's grace. Not because they save us, but because we're saved. By grace, we wish to, we wish to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Healthy churches practice church discipline. What happens? What happens when a church doesn't practice discipline? You have a broken fellowship. What happens when sin comes in? How do you deal with it? How do you handle it? Do you let it go? What does the Bible say about bad company? What does the Bible say about bad company? Bad company corrupts what? Say it. Good morals. What does Paul say to do? Look, withdraw from the one that won't obey. Not just because it brings shame upon them, but it's also to protect it. 
You think about you think about the influence, and this is where we have to be so careful of 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 those who are influencing our children, who our children look up to, who our children want to emulate, who they want to copy. Often, it's not the godly. It's the cool, right? It's the popular. Right? Naturally, immature, immaturity gravitates to the novelty. Immaturity gravel, gravitates to the ungodly. They don't know any better, right? But we're to what as parents? Teach them what to look for. We're to cultivate and teach them who to look to, who to practice, who, who to follow, who to walk after. We're to teach them who, who should you respect it's not the one that applauds the notoriousness of sin who exalts sin in their life. It's the one who is in integrity, walking in the integrity of their faith. Character. We teach our children, and in church we should uphold that. And yet it's becoming more, harder and harder all the time to do it. Secondly, healthy churches practice church discipline according to Scripture and not personal preferences. Now I have to say this. Paul is clear, if anyone does not obey our instruction, you may not like certain things about the church. That doesn't give you the right to go to somebody and correct them. Okay? Just because you don't like them. Or you don't like what they're doing. The discipline we're talking about here and the loving, gracious, compassionate nature of it rests upon the Word of God. You see, you can't have the, the, the best, the richest, the, you know, the loudest member in the church dictating to the church what it's going to be like. The character of the church. No, the character of the church is determined by the Word of God. By the Word of God. We all are in unity as what? We conform to it. Let me ask you this. Do you love the Word of God? Do you love it? you want to conform to it? See, so don't, you don't need to be in a church where you're worried about somebody's preferences. Because we all walk under banner and the umbrella of the whole counsel of God's Word. The Word of Grace. Thirdly, and this is church discipline must be done with a heart of love. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. Yet do not regard him as an enemy. But admonish him as a brother. What does it mean to admonish him as a brother? It means to treat that person as you would have them treat you. How would you like somebody to confront you? That's how you ought to confront others. So I'd want somebody to be tender. I'd want somebody to be compassionate, understanding. Well, you need to be all those things. See, Paul here, listen. Paul here wants to make sure that if that person leaves the church once confronted, they can't say, well, i tell you what, they were mean to me. They laughed at me. They humiliated me. Paul says, don't let that be true of you. Compassionate. As a brother. A brother. Your dearest brother. Your dearest kinsman, a family member. You treat that person as you would treat the person you care about because of the condition that they're in. Sympathy. Don't ever be guilty of going to someone to humiliate them or to exalt yourself. I told you. I told you, didn't I? You should have listened to me. You didn't, and look at the mess you're in. You'll listen to me next time. That's not the spirit of brotherly love. The spirit of brotherly love is I care about you, and this is so uncomfortable for me. I don't like doing it, but I love you more than I love myself. 
and I want to help you. And here's the problem. And if you don't amend this problem, I'm going to have to withdraw fellowship, and I don't want to do that. I love you. I want to fellowship with you. I like when we fellowship together. I like when we're in company together. I don't want to not be in company with you, brother, but this needs to be corrected as a brother. Leviticus 19, verse 17, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You know what? What a tragedy it would be to give somebody justification to leave the church because they were treated harshly and meanly and humiliated and embarrassed when we tout the glory and the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Observation number four, and this is the last one. Now, brothers and sisters, it is unwise, nor is it profitable to discount correction and instruction from the Lord. It is unwise and unprofitable for any sitting under the teaching of God's Word to discount obeying it. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. As we close this lesson... I wish to jog our minds and our hearts to the need we have to obey, lovingly obey, God's Word. Look at verse 23. Turn at my reproof. This is, this is the, the proverbial writer speaking, but he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. Listen to these words as coming from the Lord. Turn at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When Last of verse 27. When distress and anguish Come upon you. They will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. You see that? Here the Lord, here's the picture. The picture is this. The Lord is trying to teach and teach and teach and instruct and teach and encourage and admonish. And guess what happened? what's happening the whole time? Nothing, nothing. Nothing. Go about your business. Go about your business as if I never heard anything. Oh, yeah, that was a nice little Sunday school lesson. Oh, those were interesting facts, but not life-changing. All of those things. And you know what the Lord says? When your life implodes, don't blame me. Because I called, I called, I called, I called. I warned, I warned, I warned, I warned, and you would have none of it. And so many people call upon the Lord just because they want they want some type of rescuing, but they don't want the Lord. They want relief, but they don't want the Lord. This proverb teaches us to not just want relief, but to want the Lord. Turn to Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Verse 10, grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way, but he who hates reproof will die. Now you think, wow, that's drastic, that's harsh, but listen to me, brothers and sisters. Okay, here's the picture. Jesus said, I have the words of life. What happens when you turn away from the words of life? You embrace death. You don't really live. Look at verse 13. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit uh, is... I mean, Proverbs 5. Turn to Proverbs 5. I'm getting ahead of myself. Proverbs five thirteen. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. This is the young man that didn't guard his heart. 
And what does he acknowledge? His shame in verse 13. I didn't listen to my teachers. Look at verse 22 and 23. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held by the cords of his sin. And he will die for lack of instruction. In the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The blessing of church discipline is this. That we get an opportunity and chance to see ourselves in the light of God's word. Let us conform to it. I need to change. I know you need to change. But let's change as a body. Let's desire the word of God. Let's desire correction. Listen, let's not walk away from what we've heard as if it doesn't matter. Because it does. We affect one another. You have an impact and effect upon the person sitting next to you by how you live. How are you living? Let's pray.